have they come. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. I invite you to keep your bulletin out as we consider what exactly is it that we're doing today here on All Saints Day. This day to celebrate those who, we could say it lots of ways, those who are asleep with the Lord, those who have gone on ahead of us, those who are gathered with their fathers, those who have departed the body but are in the presence of the Lord, those in glory, those in heaven. What is it that we're remembering today? We're remembering, yes, we grieve, but we don't grieve as those who don't have hope. We grieve with hope. And so today we think about the great hope that not just those who have passed over have and experience, but the hope that we now have. So what are we celebrating? What's it called again? All right, thank you. It's our new folks who are visiting who got this. Good job. <laughs> All Saints Day, right? So is this All Saints Day just about those people? No, thank you very much. Okay. No, because it's about us as well. This is also our day. We are supposed to be saints, right? We think about what it, in our common mindset, what's it mean to be a saint? We might think, you know, that guy who changes someone's tire without being asked or sells uh, basket raffle tickets uh, without being asked or, you know, someone who gives lots of money away. We think, wow, those people are like saints, right? Wouldn't you think that? Someone just does a random act of kindness, right? We think of them as saints. That's great. Uh, we might also think, uh, you know, like the Roman Catholic Church might think, you know, someone who has done so many good deeds, like Mother Teresa. They're so good that when they die, the church just unanimously pronounces that they are a saint. They can skip purgatory because they don't have any sins they need to get purged, right? They get to go straight to heaven because they have so many good works, so many really, really good things. Is that what the Bible teaches, though? That we've got to do so many good works, so many good things, and then we'll be pronounced a saint? No. The Bible's actually backwards. Yeah, it's important that you do lots and lots of good works. That's what we're here for. But the backwards part, the upside-down part, is that we are made saints. We are called as saints. We are reborn into becoming saints. We are saints, and then we live that life. Okay? No amount of good works can make us saints. You know, we said last week, all, this is from Paul, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There isn't a saintly person on earth who can get into heaven on themselves, right? So it's about letting Jesus, his good work, be what gets you into heaven and gets you to be a saint, right? So, um, so does that mean that it's no big deal? It doesn't, you know, we don't, it doesn't matter how we live, does it matter how we live? Of course it does, right? Um, but it doesn't mean just because we're declared to be saints by God that we automatically live like saints. Um, I'm flipping through my Bible just kind of backwards quickly. The Apostle Paul, when he writes to different churches, he right away just calls them a name. He's a name caller. When he writes to the church in Colossae, he says this, Paul, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, he calls them saints. When he writes to Philippians, he says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. When he writes to Ephesus, what do you think he's going to call them? 
You guys are smart. To the saints who are in Ephesus. That doesn't mean just this elite group. It means to the Christians who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. He does make an exception when he gets to the book of Galatia. He just gets right into the letter. He's mad at them. And if you read on, it's because he says, you have, are you, have you fallen from grace? Are you trying to be justified by your good works? That's what he says. He doesn't call them saints. He, uh, maybe he's having one of those days. Also, when he writes to the church in Corinth, a church a lot like the church in America, what do you think he's going to call them? You know, saints. To the church of God that's in Corinth. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. He calls them saints. Now, if you think about this, they don't, the church in Corinth, they don't, you know, if, if they're in the classroom and uh, there's, there's different levels, they are like the worst kids, right? They're the goof-offs. They're throwing spitballs, right? These are not saintly people. But Paul calls them saints because they believe in Jesus. He does say, like, hey, you guys have to stop suing each other and then taking it to court in front of an unbeliever. You have to... Um, stop um, being so divided. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. I follow, follow Jesus. Right, stop being so divided. This group also had some other problems. Like they, uh, they were, thought they had like sexual revolution, kind of sounds like today, where they celebrated things that weren't right. A guy sleeping with his stepmother. You have freedom to do that. Paul's like, you guys are messed up. However, you are saints. He calls them to repent and to live like what they are. Is that for us too? Yeah. We are called to be what God has made us to be. He's called us. He's made us saints for those who believe in Jesus. Which is a great hope, right? Because it's not just for right now. I have to try to live up to certain standards. But it's an inheritance. It's something that we have waiting for us. Like these candles on the other side of that rail, they symbolize eternity. That's a great thing we have waiting for us, right? That is an awesome thing that we have. Okay. So let's take a moment and think, what is it, are those people in heaven experiencing? We really don't know a lot. But this passage in your bulletin from Revelation, take a look at it. There are places in Revelation where the saints are saying, How long, O Lord? How long? And they're waiting for their bodies. They're waiting for the resurrection of the dead. They're waiting for heaven on earth. But in the meantime, there's also really good things that they experience. Take a look. This is Revelation 7, verse 9. By the way, Revelation, it's not a spooky book. It means the, the revealing or the opening of the curtain to show us what's really real. So here's the picture of what's happening in heaven that's really real. Read with me. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. There's a lot of people there. And they're from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Right? If we read earlier in this book, a chapter before, John sees the throne of God. Talk about an awesome experience. And he, he sees on the throne one that is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah, which is kind of a, a slang for saying the king. The king of Israel, the king of the universe, is sitting on the throne. And then he says, but he looks like a lamb who's been slain. Get this. I think the only imperfect thing in heaven are the wounds, the five wounds of Christ that he bore for us. He is the crucified one. 
So even as he reigns on that throne, he bears the wounds that heal us. Anyway, that's what John sees here in our reading. It says, um, they're standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice. They know how they got there. Listen, it says, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They're there because the salvation that was given to them. And then the angels are there and they also agree. They say, amen, amen, hallelujah. The angels join in. And then verse 13, it says this, One of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? I said to him, I hope you know. You know. Sir, I know. Sir, you know. The question again says, Who are these? Who are all these these people that we can't even count? How did they get here? And how do their robes get so white? So perfectly, gloriously white? That's the question. Good question, right? I heard this um, recently. It's an illustration, and and I usually don't steal illustrations, but I'm stealing an illustration from a a colleague of mine, Pastor Brian Wolfmiller down in Texas. And he he shared this illustration, so if you don't like it, it's not me, okay? Um, But here it is. Pretend that as you're born, you're born with a white robe, kind of like this thing that I'm wearing, right? You're born with this, and every time you sin, a little bit of Frank's hot sauce, a little bit of Perry's chocolate ice cream. Every time you sin, you, you mess up your robe, right? And you, you can't get it out. Like, this looks horrible. Anyone ever, like, get mustard on yourself and you're, like, you know, try to hide it? Hi, everybody. You know, it's like, no, I'm the only one. Okay, Denise has, all right. So you know how this feels. It's embarrassing when other people see the mustard on your shirt, right? Well, there's a lot more than mustard and Frank's hot sauce and all that stuff. Think for a moment of all the things that could stain our garments. And I'm just using um, the Ten Commandments here. Uh, Second commandment is that we should love what God says to us. So every time that we despise God's word, think little about it, and say, no, God, I'm going to do my own thing, we scuff up our robe. Every time that we disrespect our parents, we don't do what they say because they don't know anything or other authorities, we get some stain on our robe. Every time that we hate somebody in our heart, or out comes some angry words, or we're short-tempered, we just messed up our robe some more. Every time that you think a lustful thought or carry out a lustful deed, your robe has been soaked within every fiber with that stain. You guys relate? Every time you haven't given to others in need, every time you take something that's not yours, every time you're lazy more, your robe is getting smaller and dirtier and stinkier. Every time you think the worst of somebody else instead of the best, your robe is a mess. Every time you crave something that is not for you, basically any time you don't love God, love your neighbor, you've gotten to be a mess. It's not just you, it's everybody. It's me, it's you, it's every single person, right? We are a mess. John says here in the Revelation, 
Who are these? Where do they come from? And how do their robes get so gleaming white? It's a great question because my robe's not white. Your robe's not right. And then he answers and says this, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. I know there's a lot of moms here, and your kids might be in sports. When your kid comes home, you know, with your white, their white baseball jersey, and they got grass stains, or they got blood on it, when you add more blood, more mud, more grass stains, it doesn't get white, right? Putting blood on something does not make it white, right? It's like, that's the, the easiest thing to think about. But in this upside-down kingdom in God's way, taking something dirty and, white and putting it in special blood makes it gleaming, gleaming white, perfectly white. Dazzling, glorious. And that's exactly how we get to the other side. Because we can't stand before God in our filthy, tattered robes. I have three scriptures for you I want you to just hear. Listen carefully. I think, Dave, do you have the first one? No? Okay. Okay, Sadie's got it. Thank you. Oh, that's all right. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from your empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. Uh, keep reading. One more. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without a blemish or a defect. You have been bought by the blood of Jesus. Okay. Uh, there's a second one I'd like to hear. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. We have been justified, acquitted by his blood. That's what it says. Candy, thank you. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Okay, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there's a throne in heaven, and we can't get there in that, that presence on our own. But it's almost like, okay, I'm in this line, and I know I'm about to enter this throne room. I see the person in front of me dip their dirty robe in this vat of blood and pull it out gleaming. I'm going to do the same thing as them, and that's what... Uh, that's what is offered to us. So you might be thinking, this is, seems really, well, I, there's, there's three ways we can respond to this. One is, like the angels, amen, hallelujah, I've been redeemed, angels haven't, but I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, yay. Second way you might respond is, well, that sounds really great, Pastor Zach, it sounds really, really good, but you don't know what I did this week. You don't know the pornography I looked at. You don't know how I yelled at my wife. You don't know how deeply stained I am. You don't know how much of a mess I am. And I'll say, well, good job. You're a really good sinner. You are a really good sinner. But guess what? Jesus is a better Savior. His blood can wipe away and cleanse every sin. Every, the worst. The things that you're addicted to. The things that you love more than God. He can cleanse you of that. And then 
I encourage you, believe that, and then you're in the first group. Amen, hallelujah. And then the third way to respond to this might be something like, Pastor Zach, you're kind of overreacting a little bit here. You know, think about all these sins and why, you know, your life would be tattered and, you know, why are you so focused in on this? You might think, well, I belong to a church. I, I got baptized. I, uh, I'm a pretty good person. I'm not really worried about it. Like, I'm just going to live the way I want to live because, you know, just go along to get along. And then God says to, to you, to me, when I'm like that, woe is you. Careful. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Isaiah says, even the very best of us, our very best things, he says, even our own righteousness is as filthy rags. Even the best you could do is not good enough. But I'll go back to that second group. There is one who is good enough. He's bought you, he loves you, and he cleanses you. So believe it. And then don't be like the Corinthians and Americans who act like they're not saints. Believe it and enjoy. Live like a saint. Because this All Saints Day is for you. It's for those who've gone on, for the hope they have. It's for us. We are made saints as we receive what Jesus has done for us. How do you get it? Well, we saw when Jesus was pierced out of his side, what flowed? Blood and water. In some mysterious way, this washing is not a regular washing that we saw a moment ago with Cain. This is a washing of the Holy Spirit by Jesus. He washes us. The other way to receive this, besides just pure faith and grasping it, it's to receive it. The same blood that poured from Jesus when he hung on the cross and his amazing grace can pour over our lips to forgive us and cleanse us. Believe it. It's true. It's awesome. In the name of Jesus, amen.